Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve. Welcome to Association 4.0 podcast. My name is Sherry Budziak, and I'm the host of this week's podcast. I'm here today with Stephanie Reeves. Stephanie is the executive director of the Maryland Psychological Association and has held senior titles with national and statewide psychological associations for more than 10 years. Additionally, Stephanie is a fellow at ASAE, an honor bestowed upon less than 1% of the ASAE membership. So Stephanie, I'm really excited to talk with you today and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Sherry. So tell us a little bit more about you and your organization. Sure. Maryland Psychological Association is a small state-based association. We represent over a thousand psychologists licensed in the state of Maryland and also in DC and Virginia. Unlike a lot of state associations, we are not chapters of the American Psychological Association. We are in fact, our own independent organizations, but there is an affiliate relationship with APA. Uh, as one of the organizations with over a thousand members, Maryland Psychological is one of the largest state psychological associations in the country. And that's a title we are very proud of. And we're actually currently nearing 1100 members of our association. As far as my background, um, I've been with MPA for almost seven years. Uh, Previously worked at the American Psychological Association and other large organizations in their government relations. Uh, Every aspect to it from lobbyist to grassroots advocate to PAC manager, if it's government relations affiliated, I've done it. So I have a long history of doing that. And even now with my current association as executive director, I'm involved with our state advocacy in Annapolis. Uh, We are currently in the throes of our legislative session and currently reviewing about a hundred bills that's related to mental health. And so it's it's a particularly busy time for the association. Well, I I really appreciate you taking time out for us today. It's great. Um, So talk to me a little bit about um, how the pandemic experience has changed your thoughts around the future of association industry and how your organization grown or, or done things differently during this time. Sure. I would, and I, and my apologies in advance for anyone who works in the insurance industry, but uh, we always talk about value in the association space. How can we bring value to our members? I think if there's any lesson that we have learned from this experience is that um, those who are members of our association appreciate having us around, but they we show our true value as associations when they need us the most. Yeah. And so during COVID, we established ourselves as the go-to for any information a Maryland licensed psychologist, whether you remember or not, needed. So the transition to telehealth, what did that look like? What platforms did you need? Um, How would that look like from a reimbursement standpoint? What can you do as far as telehealth when your patient is not in Maryland and you're not licensed in the state your patient is in? So we, uh, just like everyone else, we established a page on our website. We had 
webinars with upwards of 100 to nearly 200 individuals on. Um, one great benefit I think it, that definitely helped us was that we saw a lot of former members returning to the association. In fact, I have a great story about being on the phone with one of those former members who called just to get just some details about rejoining the organization. And they said, I was receiving so much great content, I felt guilty for not paying for it. And I promptly then said, asked, well, can we use that on a form? Yeah. <laughs> because, you because you can't buy that type of advertising. And the fact that we were able to establish ourselves in that way, I think made it very valuable to the point where we are still having former members coming back to the association. So it definitely helped us with our membership numbers. I would say, and that's a great lesson for the association space, that if you are able to establish yourself in that transition period when everything turned around, I know for psychologists, you know, it's their nature to have in-person meetings. That's what right. they do. And yeah. to then immediately have to transition to telehealth where I have members who have practiced and have established systems for so long, they didn't even use a computer for their practice um, because they just had, you know, they've had a long established practice that didn't need one. And now all of a sudden you're, you know, they're calling me and saying, well, I have to get a computer and what kind of programs do I need? And what do you mean I have to shut it down to reboot? What does that even mean? So we also became de facto, de facto <laughs> support for our folks as well. And they truly appreciated the patience that it took for us to be able to transition like that um, on a dime. I would say for our operations, we were fortunate enough in that we were doing a lot of virtual workshops anyway. Uh, so the transition wasn't that critical for us. We have learned in this time, though, that um, I think, you know, obviously everybody is zoomed out. Yeah. And because of it, we found that the shorter workshops that we did, the 90 minute, we're getting a lot more traction than our th is three hour and definitely the six hour that we would obviously have breaks in between, of course. But we have now seen that for a lot of the content that we are developing, it's a it's 90 minutes to two hours. Uh, we can do three when the content necessitates it, but otherwise after 90 minutes, they want no part of it. Uh, right. So it'll be interesting to see as we go forward, whether that will maintain or whether people will have the appetite for a three hour workshop for sitting in a space and doing a three hour workshop in person, let alone, online. So there's been a lot of great lessons that I've learned. We've learned from this. It's really, you know, also, you know, listening to our members, finding out what their needs are and really being patient with them. Because again, I think for the us in the space, a lot of our systems were already in place for a lot of us. Um, some of it, it, even when we had to pivot, it wasn't as great of a transition as it likely was for our members. And so showing them a lot of grace and that transition, I think again, helps go a long way. I have members who still thank us for the work that we've been able to do. And, you know, we've been able, we've been, we've been very appreciative of the support of our members, given that we are a small association. Yeah. And I'm just thinking it was probably really tough because you've gone, you've got a, uh, the way that, that most of your members worked, right, was face to face. And not only are they having the technology challenges, but I bet their patients and the people that they're working with had the same types of things or now where am I going to go to take this, you know, have the session or trying to, you know, are they on their phone or they're like, that had to be like really a rough pivot for, for your guys's industry. 
It was because um, every state had a different mode on how continuation of care can be given. Luckily for the immediate area, D.C., Virginia, the rules were fairly simple for people to continue seeing folks if they, you know, if you had a college student who was at University of Maryland and they lived in Charlottesville, Virginia, you could continue to see them. Uh, documentation was key, but that was the other important part that we were able to provide because we did, we were able to provide them with, you know, my, my patient is has moved to California. What do I do? Can I continue to see them? Because I don't want to discharge them and try to find another psychologist because for mental health and what really, I mean, if there's, there's, you know, good sides obviously to what's happened, but from a, from a, you know, from a potentially negative standpoint for those of us in the mental health field, you did see utilization up, which is good. Mm -hmm. That's what you want to see. But the problem is, and the problem has always been that we've just never had enough mental health professionals. And during this period of time, that's when we really saw that hit because helping our members transition, some were very open to that. Others, particularly those who were closer to retirement were like, this is not what I signed up for. This is not yeah. how I practice. This is very impersonal. I think I may think about retirement a little sooner. And I would imagine that for other associations, particularly those in the healthcare space, they probably saw a lot of their members making those same choices um, because it is radically different. But even with the telehealth piece, we're finding that a lot of our folks are saying, I'm going to continue regardless. So the, the, you know, again, being very helpful to our members and helping them when it has been particularly rough and going forward, again, particularly in the mental health space, it's the telehealth is going to be a really key component to it. But I think as some of our members found, not every patient wants or is good in a telehealth platform. So the questions now going forward is, what do you do with those individuals, particularly if we are, uh, you know, I, I don't want to jinx it, but, you know, if we find ourselves in another position where we have to lock down, what do you do? Because that, that weight, you know, ebb and flow of care between in-person and telehealth can be really challenging for particular patients. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Stephanie, what do you see as kind of opportunities for associations? I would say going forward, there's a lot of opportunity for us to be creative. You know, those, you know, we, we always, when we talk about when we, you know, go after positions and we get hired and such, it's always with an eye towards innovation and being creative. And I, you know, I think we've always had that spark of creativity in our, in the work that we do, but this particular time, that's when it's like, okay, you want to be creative? Let's go. Let's go. go. And I think the next area to that is how we deal with continuing education. What does that look like? Um, What does hybrid look like? I was um, in another meeting with other colleagues and we were discussing the challenges of even a hybrid model. And I, I believe I said, I think the challenge is that there is no model yet. We're still deciding that, which is challenging, but yet it's also potentially exciting because we are, and I'm going to use that phrase that everyone has used, and I'm just going to use it. We are building the plane as we're flying it. And in the end of it, we can have this beautiful craft that none of us anticipated that can really work for whether you are uh, an American Psychological Association or a Maryland Psychological Association, but we're still in that period of trying to figure out what that looks like. So I think from a continuing education, 
that's the that's one of the things that we're looking forward to. I think the other aspect to it is what we're all experiencing with the great resignation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a time when I think all of us have thought about what our careers look like and whether we are currently doing what it is that we want to do. And knowing that we have staff that are having those same conversations and making those same choices. And how do you, how do we manage that? Um, Particularly in this association space when, uh, you know, you have for-profit really upping the ante when it comes to salary and benefits. And, you know, again, you know, or in an organization like mine, um, it's very difficult to compete with that. So how do we, whether you're large or small in the association space, how do we maintain that top talent uh, and also, if we're in a position where we have to find talent, how do we compete for that talent? Uh, that's going to be, I think, our next challenge as we go forward. Um, and we're seeing resignations from the top down. So I think for associations broadly, looking at it from an executive position, you are, you know, you're seeing the numbers of retirements grow by the day. And yeah. do we have, you know, do you have the individuals around? that can fill those vacancies that are really needed at that top level, as well as the, you know, senior level, mid-managed and so on. Uh, That's, I think that's where we are going to really need to focus in on in terms of the talent and how do we make sure that that top talent stays. And when we do have resignations and the like, how do we look for more top talent when the competition is even greater? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, what are some of the challenges? And I think this is going to be, this is a big one, right? Yeah. Well, and the, um, you know, a couple of things you said that that resonated with me, you know, well, one, just to kind of follow up on this, the great resignation, I've been talking with um, CEOs about, do we need to rethink what our, you know, a full-time hire looks like? Like, Mm. I mean, I'm talking to a lot of people who say, well, with all the changes that are happening all the time, I don't want to work a 40 hour work week. Um, I talked to a retired, a retired CEO um, yesterday who said, well, I'm retired. I don't want a full-time CEO job, but I'd like to work 20 hours a week. So like you said, like being creative, like, do we even need to rethink how we're hiring and what people need to get that top talent and and how people want to work. Um, And, you know, I think the work from home, while it was great and everyone was like, wow, we got this, we did it. After a couple of years of being kind of isolated, people are like, I don't know that I want to do this full time. So anyway, it's, it's a, it's just an interesting discussion and nobody has the answers. It's just, again, I think like being creative and, and trying to, as you said, figure out, you know, what is it and, and finding those right people. Cause I still do believe that in the association space, um, people kind of, uh, look for those types of jobs because they have a passion for a mission or, um, and they find, you know, that means more to them sometimes than the money and the benefits. Right. But as you said, kind of being competitive, the other thing, um, that as you were talking that I was thinking about, you know, when you talked about like, yeah, we can do this different. It's kind of continuing. Another challenge I see is continuing that, you know, the boards gave us permission, right? Mm. We had to like hurry up and change. Mm-hmm. I hope that doesn't go back. Like, I hope that that, that mentality of, yeah, we can do this and be quicker 
without going through a year of a board decision-making, right? <laughs> right. I think we, as association executives, need to give up the notion that we're going to go back to what normal was. Yeah. I think we, and I think the quicker we do it, I think the happier we are, because I think we're trying to fit 2019 into 2022. And that's just not going to work. The The world is significantly different on many different levels. And the sooner we come to that realization, I think the sooner we can address some of these key challenges, you know, board, uh, you know, board decision making, again, it's a great example of that. And my hope would be that boards will continue that level of flexibility because it was, I think, from a lot of associations to their benefit. But I, I think until we as a community, and let's be honest, to, as a society, understand that 2019 could is pretty much a hundred years ago at this point. Oh, yeah. I think I, I think <laughs> feels we, like I, it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I think until we get to that point when we realize that 2022 and beyond is literally looking ahead and we're not going to go back to that whatever normal was in 2019, I think the sooner we can think about how we can address these challenges and what different is going to look like. Because it's also one of the other key elements that we had discussed today is um, as we think about DE&I, um, you know, it's always been a topic in the association space and a lot of organizations are in the last couple of years, making that choice and decision to move forward and what that looks like. I think we're still struggling with that as a community. Um, some are, you know, some associations are way ahead of it than others. Um, others can't get started on it, even though there's a desire to do so. So I, you know, going, you know, getting ahead and thinking about it from the, you know, that board decision-making perspective, how do we, you know, what does that look like? What is going to be our efforts? Because the, you know, if you have uh, members who are saying, you know, if DEI is so important, what are we doing about it? I don't think boards are going to have time to sit and say, this needs to be a year or two year long decision, you know, members yeah. are voluntary. And if they do not see that you are making constructive and not performative changes to your organization, when it comes to DEI, they're just going to walk. Yeah. And then all that, you know, goodwill that you've built up over the last couple of years with COVID and, and everything, it's just going to go out the window. So there's great opportunity, but we have to let go of this whole idea of getting back to normal because normal, it's not normal is what it's going to be in this period of time. And it's going to be new um, and it's going to be different and new and different. is not always comfortable. It's not always safe. Um, but we have to be ready for that because this is the world we live in. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what do you feel is the most important thing uh, leaders can do right now to position their organizations for success? Organizations need to be open to listening. And I know a lot of us, when we started um, in our respective roles, a lot of leaders were, well, I'm going to go on a listening tour and I'm going to hear mm -hmm. what staff has to say and the members and such. And um, that listening skill needs to be maintained. And in fact, probably even magnified if you think about it, because as I just pointed out, if there are initiatives that your members see that you've been trying to do for years on end, and there's no 
real discussion. It comes up, it just pops up from here to there whenever there's some noise about it and there's no concerted effort to do something about it, then they're gonna walk. So we need to pay attention to what's going on with our staff and with our members. Again, because members will walk and your staff will walk uh, because, yeah. you know, there's, there is, I mean, I think, you know, let's, let's, let's be realistic here. There is always a better job out there for anyone on your staff. Yeah. And it's a lot easier in this particular period for that person to find that better opportunity. So if you're, again, talking about your top performers, listen to what is happening. You know, be aware, be conscious about what's going on and also what's going on in the industry and in your space. With MPA, you know, obviously we advocate on behalf of our psychologists, but that's also for the public good. And we can't advocate on behalf of psychologists and their needs if we're ignoring the needs of the citizens of the state of Maryland. And so it's a concerted effort to address access issues because, you know, our folks are retiring out. They're also burnt out. They're also very tired. And how can we help those who call us looking for a psychologist? How can we help them? Um, as an association. And so it's looking at, you know, from an association perspective, not only thinking about your members and your staff, but also that broader community that you operate in. What is, what's, what's going on there and how best can your association meet those needs or at least attempt to, you know, get, get put yourself on the path to meeting those needs. Yeah. Well, and that's what you did really well at the beginning. As you said, the p- pandemic, I'm sure you weren't IT support before, <laughs> but that's what the members need. Like you heard them loud and clear, right? Yes. So we're like, okay, we got to get them through this and, and, and support them. So a different question I have for you. So how do you feel that association business models are changing or are they, do you feel? I, I, I think we, and, and I, and I, I'll discuss this from a membership model perspective, because I, I think that's where we're probably going to see uh, some changes. And again, I, I think we're, we're trying to read the teat leaves about what it's going to take for an association to maintain. Cause I think, you know, we have from a lot of associations, you have membership dues, you have as far as, you know, your revenue is concerned, yeah. you, know, you may have continuing education. Uh, sponsorships are looking very different. Even if you think about it from a CE perspective, mm-hmm. what you're offering from an in-person is going to be is vastly different from virtual. And I think we've learned, that's one of the lessons learned there is your sponsors, their dollars, you know, makes their, their dollars are very important. And if we can't deliver on what they're, what they're looking for, from an in-person perspective in a virtual model, then they're not going to spend those dollars. So what does sponsorship look like? What does, what is revenue generating? And then also thinking about that balance, because for a long time in the association space, we've been told that we need to get away from dues and into non-dues revenue. And for a lot of people, those were events. Well, at the beginning of the pandemic, when you couldn't have face to face, if most of your revenue was in in in, in that in that yeah. bucket, then that created some issues. And so it's thinking about how you know what is that balance? Does that balance even exist anymore? And what are the opportunities going getting ahead? One of I have a good friend and colleague, um, Artisha Moore, who is the new incoming president CEO of Association Forum. Uh, I like to consider her one of my futurists. 
in this space. And one area that we're hearing a little bit about, but I think we can potentially hear more about is how associations can work with venture capitalists. I think we are still building that story about what that looks like from an organizational support perspective and then even beyond what does uh, what would a collaboration between an association and a venture capitalist look like? Hmm. So it's thinking about business models. I'm thinking about it from you know what's generating the revenue for the association. I think those buckets will continue, but I think we have to think about how that looks because a lot of our folks are retiring, and so yeah. and we're not getting the influx of new members from our students, our early careers. So you know, that bucket's going to shrink whether we like it or not. So mm-hmm. what makes up for that? What is that? What are those new uh, non-dues revenue generators that are out there? And I think, again, that's where flexibility from the board and creativity is going to come into play because the opportunities are out there. I think it's just going to, it's just going to be radically different from what we are used to, because again, it's comfort it's safe. We know that that's where, you know, we know that's, that's, it's reliable, but I think we also, again, as a community need to think that's again, we're, that's, that's kind of an old way of thinking. If we continue that, it's not going to get us to where we need to, to be as far as the maturity of our associations go. So it's really looking at what is out there that's next that we just haven't really thought about. And again, one of those ideas is I think the venture capital, that's something I would love to explore a lot more because, you know, they're always looking for the little guys to support. And, you know, we're a little guy in this big space. I always say there's people talking about there's a lot of VC money on the sidelines right now. So maybe you're onto something. Um, so how do you think technology is going to change how associations operate? Uh, I, I think from a short-term, well, I could probably speak it from a short-term perspective, uh, potentially can address some of the issues that we find with the great resignation. Um, you know, if you are unable, obviously, you know, if there's a function that was previously handled by an individual, if that's something that could be automated, then that might be a good way to go. Um, I think with the, you know, with the telehealth platform and as tired as we all are of Zoom, um, I think it provides us with some insight on what could be next as far as, you know, video conferencing goes and what that looks like from not only, a, you know, regular meeting, but also from continuing education and, other projects and how we can, you know, how we reach out to staff and members. That's uh, another potential for that. I would say in the long term, it's how, you know, how can we use that technology to, you know, and, and what does that look like? And, and how can we use it to make ourselves even more efficient? And then, you know, I, I never advocate replacing someone with technology. I would only suggest that if you're looking for a short-term fix and you know, you're in between people um, because computers are only as good as the people who program them. And yeah. computers can fail just like anything, any other piece of technology. And so I wanted to be clear that that's not what I'm advocating. What I'm thinking about it, again, from the short-term, if we're thinking about from you know great resonation standpoint, but uh, looking ahead, 
I think there's some great opportunities for us to really utilize technology in a way that can be beneficial. Um, you know, thinking about whatever that new hybrid model is going to be to address the members like mine who say, I never attended an event because your events would never be close to me. And I've attended more events in the last two years because you had a virtual model versus going in person. And I don't want you to lose that. So how, and because again, there's also potential for um, generation of, for members and member recruitment and retention, because if your members know that you will literally meet them where they are, that can be a very attractive proposition for your members versus, oh, you know, we're going to go full back into in-person, no virtual or nothing, because as tired as we are, it's also a convenience. And it's how do we make sure that we are providing convenience to our members who, you know, in some cases don't have the budget, no longer have the budget for travel. And so we don't want to exclude those individuals because, you know, things might be getting better from a COVID standpoint. We need to make sure that we're addressing all of the needs of our members, those who can travel, as well as those who can't. And so I think once we kind of get some models of what hybrid could look like that are successful and easily managed, I think that's the other aspect to it yeah. is that how, you know, what, how can technology help us create these models? That's not going to be so cumbersome and we'll take into account everything that we can do, whether it's, you know, providing, you know, content leaders, their information to, if we ever have to, you know, do contract tracing, how is that all implemented? And what I could potentially foresee is platforms developing that takes into account all of these questions that we still have. Um, one, I don't think one exists just yet that will take care of all of that, but I can foresee that that's where we're trending towards. Yeah. You, so you mentioned about um, using technology to kind of help fill the gaps of staffing. You know, we, uh, through the consultancy, we do a lot of work. Um, people will call us with a technology problem. Mm -hmm. And really, it's not the technology, but it's um, it's the process, right? So I think the one thing is when we tell people, you know, look at process and, and how you can automate and stop getting things that you, you somebody can't do something. So they're doing it in Excel, like get mm -hmm. the right training, create those operational efficiencies. And then that also... Um, doesn't replace a person, but it creates more time in their days to kind of start thinking creatively, right? Like mm -hmm. I've got a little bit of time. Now I can think about and be a little more strategic or be a little more creative because I've kind of, you know, have improved those, those operations to free up some time as well. Um, and the hybrid model, it's been interesting because, um, you know, everybody obviously went to virtual now I know a lot of associations that we're working with are going back in person, but I think human behaviors has changed obviously too. And we're hearing how like there's some board members or um, staff that don't want to attend a board meeting in person. They just don't want to. Right. And so, um, so they are creating kind of these hybrid um, environments. And my team was on one a couple of weeks ago and it was interesting because they used some new technology we weren't even aware of to do this hybrid board meeting. So they had people both on their computers and in the room because um, it was here in Chicago and some staff just weren't comfortable going to the office. So um, 
So it, it is interesting. Like I said, it's kind of behaviors have changed. And I think we have to kind of, you know, be agile and, and try to figure that out as we move along for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've heard from members myself who, you know, again, uh, our, our annual conference in person would be about 300 and um, not even a distance issue, but they no longer feel comfortable being in such a space with a large number of people. And I, that's an important, that's sorry, that's a very important point that I think associations need to keep in mind. And that, you know, yes, a lot of people have the desire to get together and see their friends and hug them and shake their hands and such. But there's also a decent number of your members who are like, that is not my speed. It probably was never my speed, but even more so now, that's not that's not what's going to make me feel comfortable. And again, I don't think we can ignore those folks. We need to find out, find ways and how we can address those individuals who are no longer comfortable. And no matter what you do, they're not going to want to come back to an in-person event and we can't ignore them. Yeah. It's kind of that discussion. Uh, this will show how old I am, but that discussion back in, in my early career where people were going from oh, we have a print magazine that we're sending out. And so, but now we're putting it on the website, Sherry, and we're sending out an email. What can we stop doing? And I'm like, you can't stop doing any of it, right? Like now we just have to consider more because if you, if you exclude any of it, like, and back in the day, and I still like, I still like my print magazine. I just do. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there are those in our constituents and our, our, our members and customers who, wanted a different way. So I think it's, it's definitely not black and white, right? Like right. It's, there's a lot of gray in there that we have to figure out. And even ourselves, we went from, we've always done a hybrid meeting, but then the last meeting that we did hybrid was so much more complicated because mm. the expectations were raised. Right. So now we're rethinking, we're like, I think we're going to have in-person and then we're going to record it and then have virtual separate. So now we've added two more meetings to our plate. Right. But it just, you know what I mean? So I think you just got to like, as you said, but as we started this conversation about being creative, being agile, listening to your members, all of those things, um, just, I think are, as you said, are really important as we think about the future. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how we adapt to uh, these changes. And again, I, my hope is that uh, there is, Um, I'm pretty sure there's a group out there thinking and having the conversations. And I think that's another potential area uh, for us to have having conversations with these large tech companies and that uh, because it's not just us. Obviously, these large corporations are faced with the same thing. And how, you know, what does that look like? And again, I think we're still trying to decide, as you pointed out, as you're still trying to do it, you're adding more to it, which is not always our goal, but to try to achieve that, we're doing more. And hopefully technology can address the not doing more part of its process part and creating opportunities for us to be able to, again, to address those who want to be in person and those who want to remain virtual in a way that is both satisfying to both groups that doesn't create more work for the staff. Yeah. That's key, right? That's exactly. (laughs) I back and I remember I had so many conversations in 2020 where they're like, I don't understand this. We're doing this virtual meeting and our meeting planner is taking forever. And I'm like, well, first of all, they've never done a virtual meeting. Secondly, it's a lot of work. (laughs) Like it's a lot of work. Um, 
but I think everybody understands that now, but you're right. That's, that's the key making sure that we don't um, put more on the staff than, than we need to. Um, well, this has been great, Stephanie, any final kind of thoughts or comments before we wrap up today? Uh, I, well, first of all, obviously, thank you again for this opportunity. I'm glad that we are having these conversations in this space, because I think that's going to be what's going to help all of us uh, going forward with this, you know, I hate this term, but the new normal, yeah. um, but it, but, it, but it, it is there. And I think the only way, and I, the association community has been successful because we talk to each other and we share information and we share what works and more importantly, what doesn't work. And that conversation needs to continue. And so if there is a bright idea that someone has with their hybrid model that works, I would highly suggest talking to Sherry if you haven't, um, but also spreading that around because that's how we're all going to be able to achieve because we're all facing these same issues just at different, just in terms of different scale. Yeah. Um, and we can be helpful to each other to achieve those goals because ultimately we want to be supportive of our members. We want to be supportive of the staff we work with. We want to be supportive of the community that we work in because as ASAE points out, associations, we drive, you know, we drive these innovations, we drive society and um, we are, you know, we can help make a better society. And I think we are, we're heading towards that and we can be the innovative ones um, with a lot of, you know, with relationships that we maintain and creating some new ones that didn't exist prior to because it was never part of the association plan. So yeah. I think this is this is a potentially exciting opportunity for all of us to really dig in and be bold and ambitious with what we do. Um, obviously, there's always risk involved. But I think the last few years have shown us if we don't take the risk, there's minimal reward involved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks so much, Stephanie. If somebody has some great hybrid idea or just want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Sure. So uh, I'm not difficult to find, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can reach me at my office. My email address is my first initial last name. So let's chat about what you're doing with your organization. See if, you know, there's things that I can be helpful with. And, you know, if, if anybody's interested in learning more with mental health and the state of mental health and where it's going and the potentials there. I'm also up for a chat with that as well. Great. Well, thank you so much. I pre really appreciate your time. Thank you, Sherry. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. Dot.org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.